Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Glad you've joined us today. Thank you. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. We have a busy show coming up. We're going to talk with Steve Sinsky, the CEO, once again, of the American Soybean Association. He'd been CEO of ASA for a number of years, left to become Deputy Secretary at USDA. Now he's back as CEO of the American Soybean Association. So we'll talk with him about his time at USDA and his goals as he returns to the American Soybean Association. Also, we'll be talking with Caitlin Glover, Executive Director of the Public Lands Council. Public Lands Council and National Cattlemen's Beef Association, very happy with the Secretary of Interior's order on uh, the Land and Water Conservation Fund that requires written support from local governments for any land or water acquisition. We will talk about the significance of that decision coming up. And we'll also talk markets today with Steve Nicholson with Robo AgriFinance. But we're going to start things off with Todd Neely from DTN. Todd, good to talk with you. Plenty of news, including just got word that Senator Grassley says he's been exposed to the coronavirus and that he will be entering into quarantine. Uh, he says he's feeling good, no symptoms, but uh, is taking the uh, the precautions, the proper precautions. So COVID continues to really be in the news, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely, Mike. You know, I think uh, when you think about Senator Grassley, he's been around the Senate for so long and uh, easily one of the oldest members of Congress. You know, he's he's in his 80s, but takes pretty good care of himself so uh i wouldn't be surprised if he's if he turns out to beat this thing and uh feeling just fine if he ever even gets any symptoms right now he says he's not even symptomatic so and just to note that tomorrow we're going to talk with the national rural health association get an update on how the rural health care system is holding up during this latest surge of the virus we know that uh, a lot of areas are really being stressed right now um Hospital beds uh, really in tight supply and uh, just some tough situations in different parts of the country. So we'll get an overview of that coming up on tomorrow's program. Meanwhile, Todd, there's some ethanol news, uh, legal news. Uh, what's the latest going on there? Well, you know, Mike, we've been uh, we've been covering a case involving Archer Daniels Midland <clears throat> dating back to earlier this year. Uh, a few companies earlier this year had come out and filed lawsuits. Uh, claiming that ADM had manipulated the market. Uh, it's a very complex case that's uh, it's been brought. Uh, just recently, we had six more ethanol companies uh, add their names to the list of people suing ADM on this same issue. Um, you know, it, it kind of started out as one of those cases that, you know, you really didn't know where it was going to go and, and if it was going to really gain much traction. But the list of companies uh, making the same claims uh, is is growing, and I think uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, you know, the, all these cases have been moved to the central district of Illinois. We had one that was in Nebraska involving Green Plains. Uh, the court here in Nebraska went ahead and moved that to the Illinois court, and that's, that's where all these are. Um, and we'll see what comes of it. I think it's going to be some sort of a class action thing. Uh, and we may still have more, you know, more companies coming on board. So we'll keep an eye on that. Meanwhile, a lot of rumors out there that uh, 
former Senator Heidi Heitkamp might be in line to become the new Secretary of Agriculture in a Biden administration, but we're also hearing some pushback to that. Yeah, you know, we uh, we just saw a letter come out today, in fact, it was sent to, uh, <clears throat> to Joe Biden uh, from 160 different groups, food justice groups, sustainable agriculture, workers' rights, uh, and they are speaking out against Heitkamp, saying that she's uh, basically... Uh, aligned herself with cor- corporate agribusiness, um, you know, supporting fossil fuel interests and those sorts of things. And uh, I don't really know what that all means, but, uh, you know, Heitkamp would make a pretty good secretary of ag, I think. Um, you know, she's got a lot of connections to the industry and has, has been a, a real voice for ag along the way. Uh, it's still wide open, though. There are a number of names out there being mentioned. I think even Colin Peterson in Minnesota has been mentioned as a possibility. Um, but yeah, I guess all the all the groups, all the politics involved are starting to position themselves and align themselves in certain directions. And so this is probably just the beginning. Well, some of that pushback, a lot of it's within the Democratic Party, which is kind of um, what's going on in that party right now. There's a lot of uh, warring factions, it seems, the jockeying for position. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, though. Usually the Secretary of Agriculture has been a pretty bipartisan position. I mean, there's never really been a lot of, you know, heated battle over who uh, who becomes the next secretary in, in a new administration. Uh, but maybe we're in a different era of politics. And so I think that uh, we're going to see other names, and I think you'll probably see a lot of posturing as we go on. But I do think that Heitkamp is probably fairly high up on the list. Meanwhile, we watch this lame duck session of Congress. Can they or will they come to any kind of agreement on another stimulus package? Uh, you know, Mike, at the moment, it doesn't look to be that way. Both sides have kind of uh, dug in. Uh, you know, the, the, the Democrats, they want uh, $2 trillion in coronavirus relief. And uh, when you look at the Senate, Mitch McConnell, he's, uh, you know, they've kind of been push, pushing at something at about the fourth of that amount. And so... They're clearly just staying where they are at the moment. Um, you know, it would be really surprising if anything did get done in the lame duck. Uh, you know, of course, it's going to depend on a lot of what's going on in the in the, in the presidential race with, with all the court challenges and so on, too. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if this, uh, this issue just kind of sits there for a while. Meanwhile, news today that another big ag event for this winter is going to go virtual the national ethanol conference one of my favorite events that i cover every year it will be virtual in february so that's kind of the trend with uh, these events during uh covid Uh, your event the dtn ag summit coming up december 7th 8th and 9th will be a virtual event as well and you have quite a lineup of speakers yeah you know mike it's going to be interesting we have a number of, of folks we've uh We've managed to get uh, uh, to Tom, the, the, the excuse me, the ambassador of the U.S. mission to the U.N. Uh, he's a keynote speaker, and then John Gordon is his best-selling author and speaker. Uh, and then, you know, along the way too, uh, I believe it's on December 8th, we'll be having a, a breakfast from 7 to 8 a.m. Uh, where Chris Clayton and I will be talking with people about ethanol issues, um, you know, the way we see things and so on. So there's a lot of things going. It's uh, you know, you hate to see it go virtual. It, it really is not much of a replacement for, for seeing people's faces and, and interacting that way, but it's, it's, we're really glad that we have it. I'll be doing, uh, having a lot of uh, your guests, uh, a lot of your people on my show during those three days as we cover it uh, remotely. And a reminder that if you go to our website, Adams on Agriculture, 
you can uh, sign up for a chance to win uh, registration, free registration to the DTN Ag Summit that will be virtually held December 7th, 8th, and 9th. So check that out at Adams on Agriculture, our website, as we work, uh, enjoy working with DTN again. And Todd, we'll look forward to talking more about that event as we get closer. Thanks a lot. All right. Yeah, thank you, Mike. All right, Todd Neely, DTN reporter, and congratulations on the Huskers finally getting a win, too, by the way. I know Todd's happy uh, about that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you're feeling better, right? Yeah. yeah. All right, we'll talk markets next. Stay with us here on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, let's look now at some meat export numbers, especially pork, some encouraging numbers as we talk it over with Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. The exports for September on pork came in really about where we expected, 10% growth year on year. But China was up, but it wasn't the only market up. Broad-based growth, which is encouraging. We saw significant increases in Japan, Vietnam, Philippines, Taiwan, Chile, the Caribbean, several markets. So we're very encouraged by that. And and one of the drivers here in Asia specifically is the demand in Asia is really getting back. It varies a little bit by country, but in general, really getting back to normal. A lot of activities are happening, in-person activities, consumption's rebounding, the economies are rebounding. So it's really a perfect storm for increased business in the Asia region. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl. But with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. 
With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, let's talk markets with Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst for Robo AgriFinance. Steve, good to talk with you again. You know, they always talk about October surprises for an election. Uh, this year we had an October surprise for the uh, grain markets. And, um, you know, when you look at this surprise and the question is how long does this rally continue? How long does this strength continue? Would it be safe to say the two big factors now will be China's buying and South America's weather? Good morning, Mike. Yes, absolutely. That would be those would be the correct assumptions. Um, yeah, I mean it has been an October. I mean you don't you come into harvest and you don't expect prices to be going up, but that's exactly what we've seen this year. And I think there's two things, and I think you've absolutely hit the two nails on the head. Is you know how long does China buy? And I was looking at soybean exports yesterday on the inspections numbers, and you know we're at that peak historically where numbers where we start to see those numbers start to come off the peaks that we're at right now. So you'd have to think a little bit about that, you know, soybean, let's see, soybean buying by China will, will, will start to decline a little bit. But we have to talk, we'll, we'll talk, we can talk a little bit more about soybeans. I mean, the other thing that has got me, you know, when you look at the soybean situation, you know, basis levels at the Gulf on soybeans have started to come down. We saw a pretty dramatic move last week with a dime in one day to the downside. So that is an indicator to me that there is, you know, that bind is starting to at least pause right now. And so soybeans, you know, from the standpoint of exports are probably going to be the and the piece we'll have to watch very carefully that pace. But whether it's absolutely the other issue, and that's kind of what's driving the market today if you want to get real, you know, really close in. You know, it's, it's now we're almost we're in the last half of November. It's still dry. The forecast in South America, particularly, will focus on Brazil, is still dry. Um, and usually, you typically start to see rainfall happen in last half de- last half November, early December in, in South America, and we're not seeing that yet. And we're not seeing the forecast, and so that's what's really you know driving that market today. Is we see higher bean prices today, and and corn falling along as well because corn is important in Brazil. And it's obviously important in Argentina. So those are actually the two biggest things. And we have to remember we're in a La Nina, and with the La Nina, we're going to see you know hotter, drier conditions across the southern part of the United States and across Argentina and southern Brazil. And that's exactly what we're getting right now. So yeah, that's those are the two big factors driving the market at this moment. Because and we should say too on soybeans, it's a fundamentals. We have a very tight S&D on soybeans, and that's driving prices higher right now, for sure. So we watch to see if a slowdown in buying by China is offset by dry weather concerns in South America. We'll see how that plays out. What about corn? Yep. Yeah, corn, you know, is a little is a little different situation. You know, the corn side is, you know, we did see, there's rumors this morning that China's looking at kind of snooping around for U.S. corn again. Um, you know, exports for corn are going to be a little less seasonal. I mean, when you compare them to beans, you know how beans are so seasonal when we look at that buying pattern. So corn is an ongoing situation where we continue to see good corn buying, you know, both by China and globally. Um, the S&D for corn is not as tight. It obviously tightened up last week after USDA came out with their new crop production estimates. and We saw those declines in yields. Um, and so, you know, corn is probably just a little more touchy 
in the sense of, you know, it's trading about where it should be trading right now. Um, and so and if you look and if you've watched the dynamics during the corn and soybean market, you've seen soybeans continue to power high. We're talking about futures now. And you've seen the, the corn market, you know, sort of slowed that pace down a little bit. And it just doesn't have the upward momentum. And so I think from a producer standpoint, when you look at, you look at corn, you know, a futures corn chart, it just is having a hard time getting above that 420 area and really sustaining it. So I think that's something you just have to watch or that 425 area and, and be conscious that you're, you're kind of putting in, in some ways you could argue that, you know, you know, there's a head and shoulders on these corn, um, maybe potentially forming, which means that you've got, you're pretty close to the top and the down, there's downside potential here. So I think corn's one you, if you're marketing, these are good opportunities that you need to look at for this year and for, you know, the 20, the 2020 crop and then the 2021 crop for sure. So are you saying then that we're kind of, maybe we've settled into kind of a range here for a while that could yep. move up or down on a given day, but you know, if China makes a big buy or if, if something yeah. happens big weather-wise in South America, it could move one way or another. But otherwise, we're kind of settling in here now? If, for corn, I would say yes. We're definitely settling in. If you look at and that's and that's the thing, when you, it's a good time. To, when you look at that and you see those kind of that range from 4 to 420, we'll say, on these corn right now, you know, think about where we are in that range, and those are your opportunities. You sell on the hot, on the upside, and you don't buy when it heads down. You know, beans on the hand. You know, I think there's still upside potential for beans, just between how tight that S and D is. And so, you know, beans are not settled into any sort of range at all. They continue to to move higher. Um, and I think looking at the S and Ds and thinking about you know Chinese buying, think about the demand for soybeans. You know, both from China and globally, you have upside. You still have upside potential on beans from where we are today. So I would, yes. So you're settling on corn, and, and the unusual thing about this is, and I, this is the part I'm watching and trying to, you know, kind of evaluate. You typically don't see corn and soybeans divorce each other in the sense of one's going higher and one's going lower, but you do sort of see that spread or that, you know, soybeans and corn kind of divorce each other as beans continue to go higher. And beans and corn have kind of settled into range or kind of stopped their upward, up, up, upward potential. So that's a very unusual situation, something we have to watch. But it, you know, when you think about beans, it's a lot connected to South America, where corn could have this uptight a little bit later if the Brazilian second crop doesn't get planted on time or less is planted because of the delay in planting of soybeans this fall or this fall for South America or spring. Excuse me. We're talking. Yeah, we're talking with Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst for Robo AgriFinance. So, are you recommending start uh, selling some of uh, next year's crop, or are you saying wait, or what do you what do you suggest? Yeah, no, I, I'm I, one of the things we've talked about with producers and is right now, and we do we do this both at whether price wherever prices are, is to think about next year. So, I think with corn, when you think about the corn situation, and think about we've got you know we have plenty of corn here in the United States. We still have good, we have good potential for corn prices, but the fact is when you look at out to 2021, that's, those are prices that are very attractive for farmers to produce. Now, as you well know, and here's the caveat, the other piece, even back to our, your first question, is think about what happens next March when we look at plant intentions. Producers are going to look at these prices and they're going to try to capture these prices uh, by planting more corn, soybeans, whatever the case might be. And you know what that potentially means to prices, you know, prices after that report comes out on March 31. 
So that's why this is an opportunity and a time period to capture some good prices. It's not selling the whole farm, but you know, let's get that. Let's get some of those things you know, put in place. You know, soybeans. You may not be quite as aggressive in that sell into the into the deferreds because you do have. You know, there is an inverse in the market. The market is saying we want your soybeans now. We don't really care about what's out there in in 2021. Um, so you may want to be a little more nuanced in what you do for uh, 20. 2021 beans at this point, but I would certainly not fall asleep at the wheel on beans and be paying attention if you see rallies in 21 beans uh, because of what's happening in South America. You may want to be in a position to take advantage of, but it's an opportunity to start laying that foundation to average that price in for what you're selling for 20 and 2021. So yes, it's another another one of those situations. You look on, <laughs> on one hand. On one hand, you yeah. can say, well, we may have a lot more bean acres next year, which could drive the price down. But on the yeah. other hand, if it stays dry all winter and dry into the spring, you have uh, you have production concerns there. So uh, yeah. it's that either one or the other type of thing. Right. It is. It's a real, it's a, a yin and yang or, you know, as an economist on one hand and then the other hand. But I also, you know, one of the reminders to producers is to think about, can you make a profit selling selling crops at this level and if you can that makes a lot of people happy probably makes your bookkeeper happy makes your banker happy and you can't go broke making a profit I hate to use that trite saying but the fact is you're in business to put a profit on your books and if the market allows you to do that you have to do that and not worry about well, what could have been should have been because we know how it goes on the other side too oh if I just sold 420 corn and now it's at 375. You know, it goes both ways. And so I think we have to remember that and not worry, not worry as much about, well, how far can it go? But think about how does this look in my business? Can I lock in a profit? And if I do that, then I'm in business for another year. And so I think that's a really important distinction we have to think about. Always some tough decisions, but at least some better <laughs> options, uh, some better numbers to look at right now. All well, right, Steve, good to absolutely. talk with you. Thank you. Good to talk to you, Mike. Thanks. Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Robo AgriFinance. Up next, he's back, Steve Sinski, back as CEO of the American Soybean Association. We'll talk with him about his time as Deputy Secretary at USDA and his goals for ASA. That's next here on Adams on Agriculture. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. As a certified crop specialist with your local FS company, I'm trained in agronomy, soil types, and genetics. I'm also completely dedicated to your farm success. So I'm more than just a crop specialist. I'm a do-whatever-it-takes specialist. A walk-a-mile-in-your-boots specialist. A we're-in-this-thing-together specialist. Ready for higher yields with proven brands like FS Envision and FS High Soy? Just ask me how. 
Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. In the grain and oil seed sector, we are trending higher in soybean futures. We trended higher in the overnight session, partially due to reaction to the CFTC's delayed commitment of traders report, which came out on Monday afternoon. That report showing only a minor move in soybeans among managed money funds. A surprise, according to some in the trade. It leaves further room for those managed money funds to add if we can push higher in the markets. January soybeans an hour into our Tuesday session, up 23 and a quarter at 11.76 and a half. March up 21 cents, 11.75 and a half. December corn up five and a quarter at 4.21 and a half. March up four and a quarter at 4.28 and a half. In the wheats, a mix. Minneapolis spring wheat December down three quarters of a cent, 5.53 and three quarters. Kansas City December down three and a half at 5.54 and a half. Chicago wheat December up a penny and a quarter at 5.99 and a quarter. Livestock at the Merck, a mix in cattle futures. December live cattle down a nickel near unchanged at 110.37. February up 25 at 112.25. We've got a cattle on feed report coming out on Friday afternoon. Cash cattle trade so far on the week has been a bit sluggish. In feeder cattle, January down 15 cents at 137.85. March up a nickel at 137.72. Lean hogs, December up 62, 65.77. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow down 309 points, S&P down 27, NASDAQ down 61. December crude oil down 23 cents at 41.11 a barrel. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to separate. First, use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Raw meat should never touch food that won't be cooked. Then, always keep raw meat, poultry, seafood, and their juices away from other foods in the shopping cart. And store raw meat, poultry, and seafood in a container or on a plate in the fridge so juices won't drip on other foods. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Longtime American Soybean Association CEO Steve Sinsky left to become Deputy Secretary at USDA. He's now back as CEO of the American Soybean Association, and we welcome him back. Steve, good to talk with you again, and welcome back. Well, thank you very much, Mike. It's great to be back uh, with you, and I'm delighted to be back at ASA. Let's talk about your experience as Deputy Secretary at USDA. What was that like? What were some of your takeaways from that experience? 
Well, first of all, it, it was a real honor to uh, serve uh, uh, America's farmers and ranchers and work on behalf of them every day to, to uh, try to improve uh, the situation and try to make farmer, farmers and U.S. agriculture more successful. And so it really was an honor of a lifetime. And I was uh, served as deputy secretary for a little over three years and, uh, you know, really working during some really... Um, you know, uh, turbulent times. Obviously, uh, with the trade situation with China, uh, that was, uh, you know, really royal markets, but really addressing a lot of long-standing market access barriers. I think the trade agreement that was put together, work, uh, you know, addresses those. And, of course, we've seen that reflected in the markets now. Uh, but then also during that time, you know, delivering a lot of assistance to farmers and ranchers to try to help them get through on to the other side. Of course, more recently, uh, assistance to try to help farmers and ranchers and consumers adjust to uh, the uh, coronavirus and providing, you know, uh, l large levels of assistance there, uh, not only to farmers and ranchers, but also to consumers so that, that folks have the food that they need. So those were huge efforts, of course, implementing the farm bill. Uh, the new farm bill was another one, um, and uh, uh, working on biofuel issues, just a host of different issues. But it, it was uh, uh, exhilarating, uh, but really an honor to serve. Let's talk about those assistance programs, CFAP and the, the other programs that you were you put together and, and got money out to the countryside much-needed assistance, but not without scrutiny and not without some criticism on who got uh, what, or who was eligible, how much money went to certain places, certain size producers, things like that. Uh, how do you respond? That? What's your reaction to that? The, the criticism and scrutiny that you received over that? Well, I think if you take a look, and, and, and any time that you're going to be um, you know, providing assistance out there to the to, to folks. There are going to be some people that think, uh, you know, that you're not doing it right, that you're uh, uh, that, that that certain groups aren't getting enough. Uh, with regard to the uh, the the market facilitation payments, uh, trying to help those producers uh, whose exports to China were impacted by the trade retaliation that China took. Uh, if you take a look at those actual commodities that were impacted um, and you take a look to see where the payments made, there's really high correlation. And so we do think that that we, and, and generally, despite the criticism, we've received, the USDA received pretty high marks for the job that they did. Um, and uh, the same thing, you know, for the coronavirus food assistance program, uh, we, the USDA moved forward to try to provide assistance initially from that January through the April time period, and then now more recently um, with the second tranche of providing, you know, more funds out there. And so I think the criticism that I've heard uh, that, that was out there uh, really has uh, died down, not that it's gone away. But I think most producers believe that, you know, it's it, government policy they recognize is sometimes blunt. You can't have everything tailored for every single operation. But by and large, um, you know, it really was critical to helping farmers and ranchers through this period. 
as you look back over these last uh, three years, are there some things you wished you could have gotten done while at USDA that you were not able to? Well, I think the two, two things that I'm excited about, that it's they're still unfinished. Um, one is just the modernization of USDA uh, operations, the computer systems. Uh, you know, we've made a lot of strides. USDA made a lot of strides, and I'm uh, a big believer in something that, that I led and had the strong support of Secretary Purdue was to modernize uh, our, our aging computer system so that we could provide better customer service, give USDA employees the tools that they need. Uh, and we've made a lot of progress. We still have a ways to go. So that's, that's a job that's not done. Um, the second thing that I'm really excited about is the, our agriculture innovation agenda. Um, that is, of course, the agenda that we announced last February at the Ag Out, USDA's Ag Outlook Conference to increase U.S. production by, and productivity by 40% while reducing agriculture's environmental footprint in half. How can we make sure that we're researching the right technologies that, and innovations that are going to best help farmers uh, not only not only be produce and, and 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 produce more profitably, but also do so in an, in a more environmentally friendly manner. And I think the good news on that is that I think that has bipartisan support. And I think as you see uh, with the potential of with the with incoming Biden administration, they're going to be placing a big emphasis on the environment. And I think the kinds of programs and ideas that we put together. Uh, I think will serve agriculture well, uh, no matter, again, who was in, in, in the White House, whether it was Donald Trump or, or Joe Biden. You mentioned biofuels, and there's this ongoing tug-of-war between the administration and EPA and biofuels and, and how that has played out, some successes some from the biofuel standpoint, some areas that uh, are still disappointing. Did you feel like you were caught in the middle of that somewhat with your background at ASA and with, with biodiesel and uh, what what the administration was pledging publicly and then the uh, the biofuels industry felt didn't always come through as far as uh, whether it be the, the small refinery exemptions or, or, or things like that? Did you ever feel caught in the middle? What was USDA's role in all that with going on with EPA and the administration? Yeah, I don't think we ever felt caught in the middle. I mean, both Secretary Purdue as well as myself were unabashed uh, advocates for biofuels and for uh, farmers uh, in that regard because we really do see the benefits and believe in the benefits of biofuels, uh, wanted, the re wanted the renewable fuel standard to be carried out uh, accurately. And so, you know, in all of the meetings that uh, we had, uh, whether those were, were meetings, uh, you know, uh, smaller meetings uh, with the EPA and others from the White House or even in Oval Office meetings with the president, um, you know, both Secretary Purdue and myself were always strong advocates in pointing out the benefits uh, for biofuels. And, uh, you know, the good news is, is that uh, while, you know, sometimes there were a lot of frustrations on 
the way things came out when when we made the case to the president, he uh, pretty consistently sided with farmers and and the benefits there of biofuels. Did you were you frustrated though when EPA kept granting those small refinery exemptions even after the court case said uh, they were handling that incorrectly? Uh, absolutely. Um, and I think that was probably, that was one of the bigger, the biggest battles certainly that we, that, uh, we had, uh, obviously there's always, um, you know, uh, battles, uh, on, on different policy issues, but the small refinery exemptions and, and the large and unprecedented number that the, that, uh, EPA was granting was something that uh, certainly we engaged in uh, was frustrating by the by the number it was something that you know it was a, a, a year ago uh, that we had reached an agreement uh, finally with the president that that the that the small refinery exemptions were not going to undermine the volume commitments under the renewable fuel standard um, and uh, uh, and then we're very pleased uh, that the Tenth Circuit uh, made the decision and said that the EPA's practice of giving out those uh, where there had been gaps, uh, where there wasn't a consistent record of a small refinery requesting and receiving them was incorrect. And so we're very, we're very buoyed, buoyed by that decision and um, uh, certainly pressed internally for that decision to be carried out. I think that's one of this whole issue of still the pending exemptions that are still pending this year is one that we're, that the American Soybean Association is engaged on uh, to make sure that the, that we still don't have for small refinery exemption requests for the 20, uh, 19, 20 uh, year don't undermine that standard once again. And so that's a key decision yet to be made by the administration. Well, Steve, it's good to have you back at ASA. Look forward to working with you much more in the future. I've always enjoyed it in the past, and uh, we look forward to uh, uh, working together again in the future. Appreciate your time and appreciate you all the work you've done for soybeans, soybean growers, and for agriculture. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Mike. Great to be with you. Talk again soon. Steve Sinsky back as CEO of the American Soybean Association. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. 
public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, let's talk about ag equipment sales. Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. The October numbers for tractor and combine sales here in the United States are positive across the board. We've seen a nice recovery certainly continues to be driven by that small tractor market, but boy, we're seeing some really nice signs of life in row crop tractors and chore tractors and articulated pull-wheel drive tractors and self-propelled combines. We were starting to see that in October with these October numbers and this rally we've had this past week on prices. I would certainly hope that that momentum will continue through October and all, all the way through the end of the year so we can end 2020 as a positive year for uh, ag equipment sales. Now, looking forward to 2021, you know, those numbers are still also looking positive. I think there's just a fair amount of optimism in, in farm country right now. And that's that's a good thing for agriculture. That's a good thing for rural America. And that's certainly a good thing for the equipment manufacturers. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking about improving farm safety with Matt Surtick, Health and Safety Manager at CHS. Matt, I know you talk about the importance of paying attention to close calls and near misses. Can you tell us what you mean by that? Absolutely. Here at CHS, we put a really a big significant emphasis on what we are calling near misses and good catches by all of our employees. And really the reason is that it reinforces hazard awareness by everyone. To be able to see a situation, what could have happened, why it didn't happen. And then really the next part is the most important is what do we learn from it to prevent it from happening again in the future? It's really when we look at near misses and, and those good catches or those, those close calls, it's important to note that they could have been someone else's serious injury or significant damage to the equipment. So people can encourage a culture of safety on the farm. Really encourage everyone to be watchful in bringing up the concerns. It, it starts with the leaders, the, the owners, encouraging the openness of the issues and truly following through with addressing those risks. The more eyes on a situation, the better. If everyone is looking around for each other, looking out for each other and sharing what they see, we really can truly make a difference. And lastly, I just say, don't rely on others' use of common sense to guide their actions. We've heard that, you know, use common sense when you're doing this process, but really everyone doesn't have the same amount of experience. For individuals that haven't grown up in agriculture, they might not have the real-life experiences, knowledge, or kind of that situational awareness. So it's important that we're educating, we're learning from each other, and we're sharing these situations. That's Matt Sertic, Health and Safety Manager at CHS. Thanks, Matt. 
And thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS at cooperativeownership.com. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we're joined now by Caitlin Glover, Executive Director of the Public Lands Council. Caitlin, thanks for joining us again. I know you've talked before, have told us about uh, concerns about basically a, a, a land grab by the federal government. So I know you're happy with this uh, ruling by the Interior Department that um, requires written support from local governments for any land or water acquisition. Uh, tell us about why this is so significant. Well, Mike, this is a great follow-up on conversations that you and I have had in the past about the Land and Water Conservation Fund. Uh, When the president signed the Great American Outdoors Act earlier this summer, what it did was effectively say to federal agencies that they had free reign, essentially, to acquire interest in lands and waters, uh, really without congressional input or without congressional approval, like they'd done for the past oh, 55 years. What Secretary Bernhardt did in his secretarial order last Friday, that's Secretarial Order 3388, was say that uh, even though agencies at both the, the Department of the Interior and the Department of Agriculture uh, can acquire these interests in lands and waters without the approval of Congress. What they do have to do is make sure that uh, these acquisitions maximize benefit to the states, that any of these acquisitions must be voluntary. Uh, the sellers must be voluntary, uh, voluntarily selling those interests. But you're right, that biggest piece is that uh, the, any acquisition must have a written letter of support from both the governor and the local county government. This local support uh, and and local direction for these acquisitions is is incredibly important and was certainly good news for producers nationwide. Will this order, though, carry over into a new administration, or could it be overturned then? So one of the things about secretarial orders is that they are at the discretion of the secretary. A new secretary of the interior very easily could uh, issue their own secretarial order uh, countering this order. But what this order does is uh, set the precedent that uh, the the administration uh, and certainly those who are at the Department of the Interior now believe that local support is is important. This is something that we can point to for years to come to say uh, that that local involvement uh, is necessary, is key to these acquisitions. And even if this order were overturned, uh, it's it's something that we can use going forward, both in our conversations with Congress and with any future administrations, uh, to to show how uh, involvement at the local level uh, can make these acquisitions, from their perspective, more strategic uh, and, and more targeted, and from our perspective, less likely to hurt uh, stakeholders like the ag industry uh, and, and producers who, who may be in the area. So it sounds like this issue is not done. You'll, you'll continue to make that case to members of Congress and what looks like a new administration. No, you're, you're exactly right. And, and uh, you, I, I often say that uh, the, 
the LWCF portion of the Great American Outdoors Act was a bit a bit like some pretty sour lemons, and where we're now trying to make lemonade. But this, like other uh, legislation that isn't isn't necessarily in our favor, what we have to do now is figure out how to make sure it doesn't negatively impact our industry, and how it can be used for for the benefit uh, of the landscapes uh, that that are that we rely on and and that our producers caretake. One of those ways that we do that is is to make sure uh, that we are, continue to be involved in the process, continue to be involved in the discussions, because really the Land and Water Conservation Fund was enacted for the benefit of all of all Americans. We want it to get it back to that purpose, uh, e- even if the funding is mandatory, even if the funding is permanent. We want to make sure that that the program can be used to the benefit of the resource. We'll continue having conversations with Congress and future administrations about how to use the funds for actual land conservation, not just land acquisition. And this just isn't NCBA and the Public Lands Council. It's a number of livestock and natural resources groups uh, that are working on this issue, right? You're exactly right. It, it is NCBA. It's the Public Lands Council, the, the sheep industry. But you have counties, uh, county governments. You have uh, even business groups who are and have been concerned about the way acquisition happens. Because the important thing to remember is that when uh, the federal government acquires land, that acquisition means that the land is no longer part of, of the local tax roles. And so when you have a decrease in tax base, uh, that is to the detriment of local counties, local communities, and, and, and especially those small towns where we uh, see that tax base comprising a significant portion of local budgets. The coalition who opposed mandatory funding for LWCF is broad, uh, but the coalition who wants to make sure that we have healthy lands and waters going forward it is is much broader. Uh, if we can use this funding for uh, critical habitat uh, enhancements, if we can use this funding for post-fire remediation, uh, that's outside of the current purposes right now, but we have a compelling case to make uh, for the, the Congress to, to change the use of those funds in the future. This conversation is is far from over, Mike. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's we'll be talking about this uh, into the future, it sounds like, for sure. But, Caitlin, I know that you feel good about this uh, order that's in place now requiring written support from local governments for any land or water acquisition. Thanks for the update. We'll stay in touch. Thanks, Mike. That's Caitlin Glover, Executive Director of the Public Lands Council. Well, that wraps it up for today. Tomorrow, uh, just a note, we are going to get an update from the... Uh, National Rural Health Association on where we stand, how the rural health care system is holding up during another surge in uh, coronavirus cases. We're hearing reports of a, a real tight supply of available hospital beds in many places and some real challenges there. So we'll get an update on that. Also going to learn about this new coalition of ag groups these groups coming together to address climate change. We'll get the very latest on that as well. So that's coming up tomorrow. Thank you so much for being with us today. Be safe and hope you'll tune in again tomorrow right here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.
Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.